Welcome to Black and White. Now I say it again. I've forgotten the name of the show. <laughs> Welcome to Roasted to Black and White Television, the review show. I'm Guy Morgan. Uh, my co-host is David Newell, and this is where we examine the television that flickered across the mainly black and white screens of the UK between the Suez Crisis in 1956 and the Three Day Week of 1974 and kept everyone's pecker up, if that's the right phrase. As usual, we are following currently the black and white episodes of The Saint starring Roger Moore, which, apart from The Avengers, is probably the thing that's given the most work to actors of that period on a regular basis, unless you count Crossroads or The Newcomers. But I'm not entirely sure how big their casts were. But we have now entered series four and to be quite honest you don't notice any difference and i suspect it's the same production block from uh, series three but they are calling it a different series and the first episode is the checkered flag now motorsport one of the saints passions apparently it turns up again in the fast ladies and the very final Roger Moore episode, The World Beater, in which Eddie Byrne turns up again in overalls. Anyway, at a motor racing meeting, a young woman reveals to the saint that some unscrupulous person has stolen her father's invention. Only this time it's not Julie Christie, it's Pamela Conway. And in spite of that previous Canadian experience, the saint takes her at her word without any background checks. Catherine Marshall. May I talk to you? Name your subject. Fuel injection. Well, I think you should be talking to a motor mechanic. It has to be you. The unstoppable Simon Templar. So how does it pan out, Dave? This does seem to be a common theme where it's young ladies who, who say that a family member has had a valuable formula or invention or, or something like that stolen. It's It's something that we keep seeing. But yeah, the, the saint is at Brands Hatches. You can tell he's on a day off because uh, he's got his big John Motson car coat on. He's determined just to be there for the racing. But again, he's informed that a secret formula for a fuel injection part of the engine has been stolen. And this means that um, poor old dad has been duped. The villainous racing engineer seems to be coining it in. So the saint decides to do a bit of a favour and um, we meet our good old friend, Sebastian Toombs. He goes in disguised as, as Sebastian Toombs. Um, it's a full-on disguise. He's got his car coat and he hasn't even got his Volvo with him. He doesn't have that. He seems to have, whether it's kind of like a loan vehicle, I don't know. Maybe the, you know, the Volvo's in the, in the garage. Um, anyway, he meets the people who have allegedly stolen the engine but they don't seem to be doing very well either you know they seem to have sunk all their money into it but it doesn't seem to be proving itself and their loyal driver is trying to get them through the other loyal co-mechanic is trying to get them through and um there's kind of sort of like a villainous rivalry with another playboy driver I should point out, actually, um, those um, eagle-eyed viewers we've said that the saint is a big motor racing fan um, but if those of us also remember uh, the opening credits of The Persuaders, in which Lord Brett Sinclair wins a Grand Prix. It's one of the news headlines from, from the brilliant sequence with John Barry's theme. We're cast to a uh, very early um, Brown's Hatch. Um, all the cars look the same. All the cars look as if you never want to get into them and just go down the shops in them. They look highly dangerous and exposed. There's all those lovely, refreshing ads for all those old kind of companies that we think, crikey, are they still going? You know, like Champion Spark Plugs and Ferodo and Long Life and McFisheries. And we see those all dotted around. And sure enough, the saint concocts this idea of investing in this um, engine scheme to bring it um, to fruition. However... There's something else going on because it appears that the loyal mechanic is not so loyal because he starts a fire in which then, as we mentioned, the alleged villain is just rescued in the nick of time. 
Um, and all the evidence appears to be pointing to to the playboy driver. And the saint deciding to get his hands dirty uh, just says, well, you know what? I'll have a go at racing in your, your smart new formula injection car and what have you. Well, he, um, he buys another car. He does, it? yes. Goes out to the, the Formula One shop. And that's what, I mean, I assume that even then, I mean, taking inflation into account, Formula One cars aren't cheap. I mean, you can't necessarily buy them off the forecourt, I would have thought. No, it's not like a um, kid. No, so Eddie Byrne is saying, well, haven't I got enough trouble with one car, let alone two? But then Simon Templer says, well, the opposition, whoever they may be, will have more to concentrate on, and therefore they'll be drawn out. So he and... The co-driver, who has also invested money in this new mm -hmm. fuel injection contraption, set off on the starting grid against the Playboy. And we'll come to the relationship with the Playboy and his sister, whose type we may have seen before. Yes. Um, all I will say about the sister, played by Justine Lord, she moves faster than some of the Formula <laughs> One cars in this episode. <laughs> Certainly. The race starts, but it doesn't go how one might expect. No, there seems to be. There seems to be. And, and, and I must admit, in this, there is quite a well-hidden villain. Although, you know, our, our little alarm bells should always go when we hear people who are willing to muck in and help the saint. Uh, usually you think, wait a minute, are they helping because they've, they've, they've got another agenda? Ooh, I'm not quite sure about this. But yes, the um, the race doesn't go according to plan. And almost, you could say, slow and steady wins the race. Because despite all the bangs and smashes and crashes, and there's plenty, it's the slow and steady that, that kind of um, wins the race. Also um, enabling the villain to be brought to book. Because the twist is that the playboy, who seemed to have the most reason to be sabotaging eddie burns outfit he gets run off the road doesn't he mm, yes yeah right. so that just leaves eddie burn with two cars team burn appear to be heading straight for a one-two victory yeah one-two finish you got tim barrett in one you got roger moore in the other but then the big twist when it appears that tim barrett tries to run the saint off the road as well wait a minute no you mean that lovely driver who was helping out earlier and helped the Saints? He's the wrong one. Never saw that coming. No, there were several hairs set running during the unfolding of the plot. But, yeah, I mean, that was an interesting twist that sort of, oh, yeah, OK, I, maybe I can believe that. There were some little clues laid, and mm -hmm. the saint did appear to be slightly suspicious because he wouldn't let Tim Barrett's character go to the bank. Oh, right, yes, yeah. Um, to shut up the nice New Zealand lady behind the counter. I say New Zealand, that's where the actress was from. Her English oh, right. accent was impeccable. And so we come to the end, and... Eddie Byrne is extremely chuffed and the saint is going to write him a check with the winnings. But there's something slightly odd about the check. Yes, because um, despite all these shenanigans and Tim Barrett um, being the, the, the villain of the piece and despite the fire and despite some gunplay, um, also there's, there's one of those strange scenes. Um, if you heard gunfire, Guy, would you run towards it? Would you run towards where you heard that noise? I wouldn't. And that seems a foolish thing to do. Even for a TV adventurer, it seems a very foolish thing to do. Um, so, yeah, after all that, we kind of do need to be reminded that way back at the beginning of the episode, the whole thing is um, Ed burns a tea leaf. He's nicked it. That's right. But the saint works the switcheroo with his check. And it's not the first time that he's been flying under the flag of Sebastian Toomes. And then signs a check, Simon Templer. But this is made payable to Catherine Marshall. Well, that's right. After all, it was Miss Marshall's father who invented the system, wasn't it? Signed Simon Templer, the saint. Yes. 
and also um, makes the check out to Pamela Conway's <laughs> character. And that's sort of meant to even things out. It is peculiar. It is one of those episodes, and we've, we've actually brought this up before, that quite often when the saint is going undercover, in this case, Sebastian Toomes, no one recognises him apart from Justine Lord. Because she just comes up to him outright and says, hey, you're Simon Templar. What's all this Sebastian? Not only that, when he comes home, she's in his flat. So she's not only pretty good at detective work, she's a dab hand at breaking and entering. She is, given that it's a racing car episode, she is very racy. Um, there's a very saucy bit after she's been out driving and she takes a shower. But yes, she's very forward. Hey, there's out wrong with that. But we have to remember that. There is a plot to get to grips with. I think Barry Norman's dad, Leslie, had a great deal of fun directing this episode. <laughs> because when Edward D'Souza and Justine Lord, brother and sister in this, are working out and presumably breaking out into a sweat in their own gym, the, mm. the first shot we see is of Justine Lord's behind and Edward D'Souza through her legs and then you cut to the saint upside down walking through the door and then she gets terribly excited and decides to run on the spot to work up even more of a sweat so that she can then go for a shower. Now, Morgan and Wise used this device on several occasions <laughs> where you had a screen and somebody went and did a impression of the lady with the lamp. It was either Sid Green or Dick Hills, I can't remember which one. They would go behind the screen and then you'd see a silhouette of a very curvaceous lady with a lamp and then he'd come <laughs> out again. And that's the kind of thing that happens with it Justine Lord. Like yeah. And she's making squawking noises as the water hits her uh, and you sort of thought, is that Justine Lord or is that a body double? Justine Lord is very game in this, though. I, she should be pointed out she's very game. Yeah, but she's always good value in The Saint. And I would have liked her as a recurring character in the same way that I mentioned the very last Roger Moore episode. Patricia Haynes turns up and there's mm. such a chemistry between these sort of thing. It would have been really good if she had been one of these people who constantly tries to uh, put one over on The Saint and then gets checked in some way. Yes, it would have been nice if there'd been more recurring female characters that he could raise an eyebrow at. Now, I think I'm right in saying that the writer is Norman Hoodis. Yes, it is, yes. And fair play, this has been script written to within an inch of its life because there's some <laughs> fairly ripe dialogue put in Justine Lord's way. Some sort of private eye. And both of them so beautifully blue. You see her lips too. Just as lovely. Where was I? You were about to approach square four. Nothing square about me. That too is excruciatingly obvious. Your motive's no secret, sir, she said. You're checking up on my big brother. Bo doesn't know. He's as trusting as a credit card as my big brother Bo's had everything he wanted from the day he was born, sure. We were both spoiled like a glut of plums. But never, never has Bo played anything but fair in motor racing. And then when she tracks down the saint and he goes home and discovers that she's there with a drink in her hand and she has sussed that he's Simon Templar and not Sebastian Toomes, there's even more ripe dialogue. Have you seen the Taj Mahal? Why, you mislaid it. What do you think of it? That classic shrine, that glittering temple. Your opinion's really worth having. The expert opinion of the world's most renowned temple. Full marks for detection. How go your inquiries? I haven't been able to drink yet. Oh, how do you like it mixed? To match my mood of the moment, neither shaken nor stirred. You disappoint me, Simon. I'd heard in all the gay capitals of the world, when it came to romance, the saint ain't faint. They're obviously potentially going to get on famously. Um, Norman's got a good track record on this. You know, he was one of the original writers for the Carry On series. 
mm. when it you know when it first started. So he had that sort of British grounding. He did nurse on wheels. And then all of a sudden, you know, springboarded to America where he was able to, you know, work on Cannon, Garrison's Gorillas, and even Buck Rogers in the 25th century. I think we should salute him for his skill and success and for actually providing the kind of dialogue that I think actors quite enjoy getting their teeth into. Yes. If you can have some fun, but not at the expense of who's watching or listening, there's a certain joy. I'm not familiar with the original Leslie Charteris story, so I don't know how much of that he was able to uh, to bring out. I think it's fair to say, with all due respect to Terry Nation, that this kind of dialogue is not the sort of thing that you would expect from one of his scripts. No, there would be perhaps a more functional practicality to deal with because there's perhaps more more involvement and, and a lot more to deal with. And, and perhaps we've said that some of Terry Nation's scripts do come from that vaguely fantasy sci-fi aspect. Incredible. That's, that's a, perhaps another way of saying it. As opposed to the rest of the Saint series, which is gritty realism. Yes, sure, yeah. I buy it. I thought it was a documentary first season I watched. <laughs> yes, Saint is obviously famous enough for Pamela Conway's character to stop him and chat about fuel injection yeah but not famous enough even though his reputation is obviously very widespread but not famous enough to be recognized when he presents himself as sebastian tombs i said the anyone who twigs is justine lord indeed but when eddie byrne chuckles about the check in the end he knows who the saint is. Simon Templar's obviously just kept his picture out of the British papers. Yes, I mean, maybe it hasn't had that aspect of social media to have to contend with. He's not had to worry about that. He hasn't got he's, his own Twitter handle, has he? No, he's, he's not had to worry about, you know, oh, this is a TikTok video of me in Buenos Aires. None of that. It's, it's just by reputation and reputation alone. And with his reputation. <laughs> when he finally heads off, with Justine Lord. I mean, Pamela Conway's character has hooked up with Edward D'Souza, Justine Lord's mm-hmm. playboy brother. Um, yes, yeah. so, so it's kind of Shakespearean in the end, but people just pair off. Yeah, it's... Uh, and imagine, as they say in Panto, the walk down at the end is just lovely couple after couple after couple. Um, and indeed, when the saint heads off with Justine Lord... Describe what she's wearing. Oh, I can't. I can't recall. Can't. It's three weeks ago, Guy. Um, <laughs> is she wearing a lovely outfit? She's wearing what looks to me like the uniform of a two thousand and one moon shuttle stewardess. Oh right. Okay. Yes. Complete with a big. Big white helmet thing. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. they were very popular, weren't they? It looked like you could be drying your hair at the same time as wearing a hat. Indeed. I I just kind of wondered whether those things, given how long 2001 took to make, whether they just borrowed one. (laughs) So that was all smiles again. There was only one dead body, I think. And that was Neil McCarthy who played the yeah Alec Hunter, the loyal, well, not so loyal mechanic. Yeah, he yeah he buys the farm, which I think he did the last time he played a henchman. It's and, a tough uh, life. It certainly is. I mean, I mean, you'd really want some kind of benefits in your henchman contract, which you obviously wouldn't get if you were just a goon. Yes, yeah. Well, they're non-union. So who was in the checkered flag? Um, well, Justine Lord again. Uh, the bad girl and revels in the part uh, more saints to come and of course that precious avengers point now edward de souza he was a stalwart of television with 95 credits two avengers points one studio one color this is his only saint but he's just about to appear in the famous lost doctor who episode mission to the unknown the oh, un- that sounds so sinister it's the only one in the entire history of the Time Lord not to feature the Doctor himself. And I remember it. How oh, strange. And that memory will have to stay with me because it can't be shared with anybody else because it's been lost. Oh. So I have pictures in my head of 
what went on, but no one else can see them. <sighs> it puzzled me at the time because I was thinking, where's the doctor? Uh, <laughs> When's he going to turn up? Uh, because it was William Hartnell. Uh, and it stayed with me afterwards because of the Varga plants. Have you heard of the Varga plants? I've not, no. What are the Varga plants? Basically, they're giant cactuses or cacti, which the Daleks keep as a protective minefield. Because if you get pricked by one of their three inch long thorns, you're, quote, slowly transformed into one of them. A bit like the Quatermass experiment. Oh, um, I don't like the sound of that. No. And one unlucky individual this happens to watches these Bex Bissell like tufts appear on his forearm. And he's, and he's understandably distressed. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a Terry Nation script, along with an uncredited Sidney Newman, and is a scene setter for the 12 part story, The Dalek Master Plan, which I kind of vaguely remember because the Daleks actually need allies and they're trying to take over the universe. Now, if you're cozying up to Daleks, I would have thought you'd really need to think very carefully about that. Mm, yeah, you'd, uh, you need eyes in the back of your head and a submachine gun in, in that kind of situation. Anyway, Edward D'Souza had just been in the County Monte Cristo with Alan Bedell. Um, I don't know if that still exists. Probably not. <laughs> um, but there was a lot of tunnelling out of a cell with a spoon. Pamela Conway, who in other shows is credited as Lorna Wilde, has won Studio Avengers Point, where she played Girl in Shower. Of course, Justine Lord got to do that. This yes, time. yeah. She had three appearances with Jimmy Edwards, uh, one in Waco. This is the first of two Saints, and she finished her screen credits with six episodes of Whatever Happened to the Lightly Lads, I think, okay. as the barmaid Gloria. <laughs> Tim Barrett, the duplicitous co-driver. Two points, nearly everything else, 124 credits. Another stalwart, he'll be back for another saint. Uh, Neil McCarthy, three Avengers points. 13 episodes of Cat Weasel, Danger Man, Maygrey, Ghost Squad. Nearly every show you could think of. John Kidd, two points, 129 credits. One saint, two Maygreys, a perennial in television. Dorothy Frere... Uh, another regular up to the 70s, 73 credits and a lot of below stairs role. Um, <laughs> um, Eliza Buckingham's career on screen began with Stranger on the Shore and culminated in Drop the Dead Donkey. Hey, there you go. There's a good character arc. In the uncredited section, Jack Brabham. I don't know who he was playing. Louis Alexander, Pauline Chamberlain, Rennie Cunliffe, Gigi Gatti. That's a good name. Arthur Goodman, Bill Hibbert, uh, and Roy Lansford. So uh, there you go. That's the cast of the chequered flag. Right. So here we are with the saint having this huge reputation in England, but not recognisable in the street necessarily. Paris is a different matter because in yes. the abductors, we start off in a club and he has a brush with a uh, an attractive woman and then this rather burly bearded man comes up to him allow me to introduce myself i am the proprietor i will arrange a formal introduction with my fiance for you really won't be necessary thank you she would never have passed you by had she known you were the formidable simon templar not only that Going into the titles, Robert Urquhart, who plays Brian Quell. Hey, you're uh, Templar, aren't you? Yes, that's right. Yes, I uh, thought I recognised you. I'm Quell, Brian Quell. Mr Quell, I don't think we've had the pleasure. Oh yes, we met in uh, Rome with my brother Ernest Quell. A bit of a lush and a black sheep, and Simon admits that he's the black sheep of the Templar family. Now, strangely, we never meet any of... The rest of no, it'd be, it'd be great to hook up with some cousins and things like that, and nephews and nieces. Yeah, they'll probably be dead before the first outbreak. <laughs> and he latches onto Simon Templar because he's being followed by those men at the bar. Yes, who, who all seem wrong -uns. And the men at the bar 
take one look at Brian Quell's drinking companion and say, Phew, not so sure about this. We will be here all night. What's the trouble? Olga cannot get him away. The friend is with him now. Some friend? That's Simon Templar. The saint? What's he doing here? What's the delay? Olga cannot get him to leave. Why? I think he's suspicious. And he's got Simon Templar with him. That complicates things. Oh, we'll have to give it up. It's finished. Never. But how do we go about it? The only way to get at the professor is through his brother. Those are orders. Surely the two of you can handle the same. Yeah, they pick up on it immediately, don't they? Uh, the fact that, wait a minute, don't you fool, that's Simon Templar. Um, and then one of them normally says, at a then or at a later stage, Templar, well, I'll take care of him. And you know that they probably will have a spectacularly high fall from a balcony. That's almost what happens in The Crooked Ring. However... Someone turns up, a familiar face to TV watchers in the 1960s. It's Dudley Foster. And Dudley Foster sits down at the bar and says, what's the problem? And I was trying to pin down his accent. Mm -hmm. I went all Harold Pinter and the caretaker. Yeah. Are you Welsh? And there's no indication until he makes a phone call and says it's jones yes there's this idea when he he has to inform um uh, brian quell's brother the person that they're really after the professor all of a sudden there's a yes this welsh person is mentioned and it's him it's meant to be him and he's got the mildest of welsh accents not too bad because don't forget he's originally born in Brighouse, and yeah he's he's got his gang with him one of which is Nicholas Courtney, the brigadier from uh, Doctor Who. So there's a lovely familiar face. What they're looking to do is to use Brian Quell, that's Robert Urquhart, as leverage to bring the professor, who happens to be working on a very important professory type thing, to come over to Paris so that he can be kidnapped. And his important professory thing that he's working on be used by villainous foreign powers this gang they're quite bloodthirsty they kill various people as we go along there's three bodies in this the first mm. one is brian quells he's not able to tell the saint with his dying breath who killed him but the saint has gone to meet him in his hotel room and of course dudley foster has worked the switcheroo and phoned the cops which brings us our old friend Sergeant Leduc, who we have seen before, partially is almost like a little bit of comic relief. When again, Simon Templar has provided the old switcheroo when um, the sergeant thought that he was keeping an eye on Simon Templar at a, a glamorous um, party in Paris. But no, he disappeared under his very nose, only to be returned just in the nick of time. Um, plus, there was the one where he had to keep feeding him, keep treating him out to, to dinner and and, and treat so it's lovely to see this familiar face again but yes the villains they they kill one of the french security people who's meant to greet the, the professor coming over from london because he is a high security risk yes yeah, so they kill him and then it's seeing if they can get the professor to do the professory thing that he's done the important thing that the professor has done if he's that important because i think he's a metallurgist or something isn't he he is, yeah, it is. It's a breakthrough in metallurgical arts. Right. So that's basically, he's an alchemist who does spells. <laughs> I think alchemy, yeah, I think you can do that at Sheffield and at Keys College in Oxford, I think. <laughs> if he's that important, you would think that he would be accompanied by at least two security men rather than just yeah, waved off on a plane yeah. to Paris and then magically spirited away by Dudley Foster. We have skipped over the saint having been collared by Sergeant Leduc, despite having mm. hidden in the bedroom of a young lady 
from England who has won a prize for a weekend in Paris on her own. Bingo prize. She has won a prize at Bingo. Um, because up until this point, this is all very serious and a bit dark and a bit doer. And Robert Urquhart's been killed. But as soon as the saint breaks into Annette Andre's room and asks to be hidden, things get a little bit more playful. Um, and again, much like Justine Lord in the previous episode, Annette Andre is a game girl in this. Um, despite the threat of guns and all manner of things, she seems really up for it because, as she says, up until that point, Paris has been a bit boring. Yes, she'd done all the, the touristy things. She'd kind of brushed off Sandor Elish's offer of companionship going round Paris. Yeah, uh, it was good to see him there in a kind of like a, a breakthrough role, but also a very familiar role because in later years he would be working at the Crossroads Motel. Yes. So he has that background in hospitality management. I think so. I think he transitions in one of the St. Carr episodes where he's actually the concierge behind a desk. It might be the Russian prisoner or something like that. Mm. But you know what people are like in the hospitality trade? Maybe it's the same character and he's got himself bumped up by going to Switzerland. Like the night manager in the John le Carrier book. Maybe he, maybe it is like that, I don't know. Certainly. Anyway, Annette Andre has foregone his uh, overtures and has gone to bed only to be interrupted by Simon Templer, who fails to get away because he's accosted by Sergeant Leduc in the lift. I was going to say elevator, but I'm British, so it's the lift. Don't forget for our American listeners... Those words will be replaced. <laughs> and then he has a contretemps with Inspector Quercy, who's changed his hairstyle somewhat mm. since we last saw Inspector Quercy. <laughs> it's almost like it's a different person. God, don't know. Don't know. <laughs> Even though he might really be French, genuinely. <laughs> anyway, the saint goes off and there's mucho punch-ups in various places. The hostess in the nightclub who was trying to spirit away Brian Quell spills the beans to the saint. He tells her to get out of town, gives her a shed load of money, but she's just not quick enough. She hasn't got a go bag. No. She's in the middle of packing, which is much the same as happened to Nari Dawn Porter in The Scorpion. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, you're just spending too much time packing instead of just grabbing your toothbrush. All you need, your passport. It's all you need. Yeah, good book to read. Yeah, and no good will come of it. So don't delay is my advice to hostesses in nightclubs who decide to shop their co-conspirators. So she meets a brutal end, almost a bit Hitchcockian actually, or mm. even Peeping Tom-like, at the hands yes. of the Brigadier. I know, who knew it would be so nasty? That's right. Then, when the saint discovers her body, he's left Annette Andre sitting in the car. Yes, he's t- now, in this one, he has taken the Volvo to Paris, hasn't he? he has, we didn't see it last week at Brown's Hatch, but we see it this week. He has shipped it over. And she's perfectly happy just to say, I'm going to follow that suspicious character... And, of course, she gets so far. The saint has already vanished to purloin a photograph before he tricks Inspector Quercy and Sergeant Leduc into looking under the bed, running out and then locking them in the bedroom. He nicks their police car and decides to head off to this place. And it turns out that this is a... It's not really a proper chateau, but it's one of those Second Empire country houses, which could easily be in the southeast of England as well as France. Yeah, there does seem to be some very un-French housing estate um, <laughs> property shown in this episode. It is very difficult sometimes around Elstree, Boreham Wood, Pinewood, all that area, of trying to make things look French. Unless you put the odd signpost in the middle of a wood or something. <laughs> it must be quite dangerous if you were a civilian driving around that area because... There'd be no end of ITC cars driving on the right-hand side of the road. There would. There'd just be prop signs everywhere. Quebec, this way. What? No. Said back there, Buenos Aires, five kilometres. 
So the saint tracks down the chateau, having asked for directions, and we discover that the professor of professory things, the alchemist, and <laughs> Annette Andre are being kept where? It looks as if, for all extent and purposes, a cellar. Yes, and it's a cellar that may have appeared in not Robin Hood, because that was made in Walton-on-Thames, but a lot of things. It looks medieval. In fact, so medieval, they've decided to go with that look and have lighted torches. But doesn't that echo the Bastille-style nightclub that the episode starts in? Because they've got flaming torches on the walls. Sounds like a crazy health and safety risk to me. I suppose it could have been one of those very trendy things in France during mm -hmm. the 1960s. Mm -hmm. But when Simon's having a fight, which he manages to take out Dudley Foster and the Brigadier, and he's only left with Anthony Chin to deal with. Because it turns out that the sinister international forces are not the Russians, but they're further east. And <laughs> Anthony Chin has arrived via helicopter with a very large briefcase stuffed with money. Absolutely. Um, now, we've we've seen him. Wasn't he only the other week? He was Anthony Chin, the pilot of the misdirected plane? In The Sign of the Claw, yes. He came a cropper there. You know what? He should just stick to road transport because this aeronautical stuff isn't working out for him. <laughs> And then the police arrive because they've been chasing their nicked car and they try and arrest Simon Templar. And then he explains that they will be heroes and he's had nothing to do with it. It's all down to Inspector Quercy. His only responsibility left is to make sure that Annette Andre is having the time of her life in Paris. Mm. And Annette Andre is almost as forward as Justine Lord. Oh, it's been heavenly. Oh, but Simon. There's just, just one thing missing. Oh. What's that? Mm. This. Hmm. <coughs> she is. She's, like I said, again, a bit racy. Um, up until that point, Paris has proven really dull for her. You know, bingo prize or no bingo prize. So, yeah, she wants to be starting living the high life. Indeed. And so she gets to snog Roger Moore right at the end. What that clip doesn't show you is just how passionate that snog is <laughs> and the wink that Rog gives the camera. Yes, he does a kind of breaking the fourth wall. He does. We're kind of reassured that despite those deaths earlier, it's kind of okay. Right, so that's the abductors. Who's in the abductors? Well, Dudley Foster was everywhere on television. Three Avengers points. This is his only saint. He played anything from comedy to creepy villainy here. Um, he died in 1973, aged 50. Robert Urquhart appeared with him in the second of his own Avengers points, Wish You Were Here. Uh, 122 screen credits in nearly everything, though this was his one saint. Jennifer Jane's longest run in a show was 22 episodes of William Tell, followed by 15 of The Vies, but then appeared in Danger Man, Adam Adamant, The Further Adventures of the Musketeers, 69 screen credits in all, and she was a screenwriter, having scripted Son of Dracula, starring Ringo Starr and Harry Nielsen, and Tales That Witness Madness, under the moniker J. Fairbank. Have you well done. Have you seen Son of Dracula, starring Ringo Starr and Harry Nielsen? I haven't. It is on my lost movie list. Maybe one to mm. reconnect with. Not according to the reviews that I've read. Oh, right, OK. Oh, maybe I might change your mind. You know the magic, Christian? Yes. Is it not as good as that? Not according to the reviews. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. Robert Cauldron, we've covered before. He is two points, but returns again as Sergeant Leduc. And as we've said, there's a change of actor for Leduc's boss, Inspector mm -hmm. Quercy, previously played by Manning Wilson and now assayed by John Serre. Who is genuinely French, yeah. which, which may have helped. Um, I think so. Um, Four Saints, Gideon's Way, Danger Man, a regular in 1960s television, Man from Interpol, and also appeared in Interpol Calling. 
Confusingly, he plays a bank manager in episode 1 of series 5 before returning to the role of Quercy in episode 19 of series 5. And previously in The Saint, he was the French-Canadian police inspector in that thing with Julie Christie, I think. Ah, right, OK. Oh, so he has got form. Yeah, I mean, he certainly had francophone policing experience. What you might call a utility player. Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart, also known as Nicholas Courtney. Two points. Mm-hmm. He plays a nasty henchman. I notice from his IMDb entry that he appeared in 1998's Lust in Space, where the timer sizes try the television programme Doctor Who on charges of sexism with the threat that it will be removed from history completely if found guilty. I presume Jerry Anderson was on the lam at the time. <laughs> Ronald Ibbs in his final saint, previously seen in The Lawless Lady in the Inescapable Word. <clears throat> Shandor Ulish, Hungarian, exiled after the Hungarian uprising, 1956, which is obviously more important to him than the Suez Crisis. And he's a well-known face, two Avengers points, 82 screen credits. Uh, this is his first saint. And as we said, one of those useful hotel clerks, which he expands upon in The Russian Prisoner. And that may well be the same character. David Garfield, who as an actor has 90 screen credits, but as a writer was involved in 615 episodes of Crossroads. Ah, maybe that's the connection then. Maybe that's why Sandor turned up in it. You never know. It could be. Um, They're not in the same scene but maybe backstage in the canteen absolutely having a chat i have a vision sandor i have a vision for a series about a hotel in the midland well it was already wowing audiences across the nation my mum was quite keen on crossroads but that's when it was it went out about four o'clock did yeah used to be kind of like tea timey type of thing yes I think she lost touch with it when it started to clash with the archers. Always difficult without the aid of a stereo video cassettogram recorder. Oh, yes, we, we are talking ancient history here. Martin Wildeck again, Four Saints, Callan, Jason King, Van der Valk, The Adventurer, 25 episodes of Swizzlewick, which we've mentioned. It's that drama series about the day-to-day events of a local council in a fictional Midlands town. Have you forgotten who the other big star was? Oh, no, I have. Patrick Mower. Sir Patrick. In the uncredited brand tub, Roy Beck, Alan Chunts, Brian Coburn, Keith Denny, Arthur Goodman, and, as we said before, Anthony Chin. Now, why he's uncredited? Maybe they ran out of space on the end cards. I don't know. But he has lines. He has lines, yeah. He's sort of the, the villain who's set all this in motion because he wants that special metallurgical thing that the professor's made and he takes a swing at rog with a burning torch Mm -hmm. so i think that he should have been mentioned anyway of course in 13 episodes of the protectors he was the trusted chauffeur chino and has one priceless avengers point it's the last of brian degas saint scripts Uh, he previously penned the rhine maiden and the happy suicide now Boxing is actually quite a popular thing in 60s television because it's quite Mm -hmm. visual. It crops up in the human jungle. I think there's an episode of the Studio Avengers where Kathy Gale takes on someone and trains them. That may be all connected with drug smuggling in a gym. I think, quite honestly, anyone in 60s television who walks into a boxing gym better be watching their back yeah there is this idea of i don't know where it stems from that maybe there is a connection between boxing and crime i can't see that so i'm sure there's no hard evidence for that um anyway crooked ring we're in um london and the saint is going along to grady's gym um, where he is spotted by um, a boxer very well-informed boxer because it's him who is able to say, why, you're the famous Simon Templar. And then we, we get into um, the plot of it, the fact that there's a up-and-coming fighter, Steve Nelson, um, who's being trained at Grady's gym. But there's some rivalry coming up because Torpedo Smith, that's a great boxing name, is due to fight 
The Angel, which is not so much a good boxing name. And the idea is that maybe there's a fix going on here. And there's various people that may be involved in this. There might be Whitey Mullins um, could be involved in it. Is that Max involved in it? Is Dave Snyder's involved in it? There's a nice kind of like group of, of suspects that, that may or may not be um, involved in it. And sure enough, in the decider, poor old Torpedo Smith gets knocked out, knocked out and then tragically dies. But Saint suspects that, wait a minute, there's something gone on here. There's something gone on here and I just can't prove it. But you know what? I'm going to prove it. Um, and the way he does this is not only helping Steve Nelson, who is the contender, um, but then also recklessly agreeing to fight the angel himself. I should point out um, that he, he does um, offer to do all these exercises, and training, stuff like that, whilst he's smoking a cigarette. I think he may be missing a trick there. And I think that's it, part of his amateur status, because when he does get into the ring with the angel, he hasn't turned professional because he's kept his shirt on. And he stopped smoking just for that. But yeah, there is this worry that there is a um, fixed boxing match, but who is the fixer? Who's the person who's doing this? There is one of those fatal phone calls when someone says, look, there's some important information I need to say to you. Oh, right, OK. But I can't tell you over the phone. Now, the only thing that you can't tell someone over the phone is really to show them what your new tattoo is like. And nowadays, mobile phones allow you to do that. You send a picture. So that guy the other day that I saw with the otter tattoo on his car, he'd be able to just go, hey, look at this. Look at this, I've got, uh, I've got Tarka on my leg. Um and you know that as soon as anyone says, I can't tell you over the phone, they're never going to end up telling them in person because now, he, something will happen. Because he then goes to Snyder. Yes. And I would say effectively tries to blackmail him. Now, if you think that somebody has been responsible for a death mm. and then you go and try and put the squeeze on them for money, who's got the upper hand? Never try and blackmail a killer. It won't end well. Um, because if they've already killed, there's no reason why they shouldn't kill again. Yeah, uh, just like, well, tell you what, I'm going to save myself a bit of money here. Because I've already killed someone. You know that. You've just told me that, you know. So I may as well kill you and uh, and save me money as well. I so, mean, yeah, there's this crazy boxing match where the saint proposes to have this fight with um, with the angel because um, in a bit of horseplay that has got out of hand and a bit of threatening, Steve Nelson has hurt his arm and he's no longer able to fight. And, yeah, the saint offers all the people, gentlemen of the press, are there. Um, it did make me laugh. You At one point, you do see one of those newspaper headlines when it's reporting on poor old Torpedo Smith having passed away. And it's the Daily Mail that they're reading. And the headline says, stricter curbs on imports required. And it just seems as if nothing's changed. On that point, as a former newspaper man, <laughs> I must admit I am not an expert on the old broadsheet Daily Mail, supporter of Oswald Mosley during the 30s. I was just looking at the typeface and the story about Torpedo Smith is in sans serif and the rest of the Daily Mail's front page is in serif. It's a fine typographical point, but I suspect looking at that, it wasn't a genuine front page or page I one, as they say in this trade. For that reason, many people felt that episode of The Saint was spoiled for them. <laughs> Indeed. We'll come to who may have been playing the part of one of those newspaper men in a bit. All oh, right. Yes, it's our competition again, isn't it? Yes, it's our competition. It, it is competition. Um, and I will tell you my frame-by-frame -frame analysis <laughs> of that. But in between all of this nonsense, um, we possibly... Uh, and it is a tough field, but mm. incompetent hitmen... Yes. Much like we, we said in the, the previous episode, the abductors, where someone says, wait a minute, that's Simon Templar. And then someone with an extreme amount of self-confidence says, Simon Templar, leave him to me. 
Um, and in this case, the villain who is saying, I'll deal with this, is, um, I think it's Barry Linehan, isn't it, as Max? And he said, leave him to me. I don't worry. He was lucky tonight. I'll have another chance, and there won't be any mistakes. And, oh, what he is useless. He gets beaten up several times. He has his car keys nicked. For his Ford Zephyr, has that nicked and, and thrown away, yeah. He tries to break into the Saints' apartment. I thought Simon Templer was going to have to get that bust of Julius Caesar out again. <laughs> but no, he's done some Barry Bucknell DIY, taken the hinges off the door. Oh, yes. And then flattens Barry Linehan. And the only reason that he doesn't actually pin Barry Lennon into the floor, is that Steve Nelson comes out and in his confusion punches Simon's lights out and Barry Lennon gets now, away. You know what? At that point and the way it shot, I began to think that maybe Steve Nelson isn't all that he's cracked up to be. Maybe he's not such the good guy. Um, because right, we think... have seen those issues when it's it's someone, you know, an old friend of the saint or um, someone he's putting, you know, contact with and, and immediately, you know, develops a rapport with them. And I thought, oh, maybe Steve's the one behind all this. And I just thought it was just a nice little moment where you, you kind of had that seed of doubt planted. It was a useful red herring, wasn't it? Yes, yes, yeah. And he's got such a lovely, innocent, blonde girlfriend. Yes, you know, go figure. Top darts in this series as well. You know, we mentioned before in the chequered flag about Symes's motty car coat. And this, because of its sporting background, um, it's his casual clothing that we see. You know, we see him wear a tracksuit. We see him with that lovely combo of a, of a roll neck sweater with like a cardigan on top. He, he turns up to challenge the angel, surrounded by a bunch of pressmen. Looking like one of his old knitwear yeah. adverts. Suave as only Roger could be. I don't know if he designed that himself. I'd um, like to hope so. Anyway, despite the misgivings of Steve Nelson's girlfriend and himself, the saint does take on the angel right here, right now. Yes, yeah, they don't even wait for it. He just offers it. And I know it's a compact set that they're fighting on. I just thought the ring looked a little small. And apparently on IMDb, it does say, if you look closely, I know you were looking closely for someone else, but maybe if we look closely for this, is that in the long shot, the crowds at the back of the scenes are quite obviously cardboard cutouts. Now, I have not got form on this, but my old colleague from Dramatic Colleague, Kay, was one of the paid audience for the Bob Geldof snooker drama, number one, in which they they went along to a, a big snooker hall with a big main table and they didn't have enough to fill the auditorium, so they just kept asking them to move around the auditorium. Surely it wouldn't have been easier to move the camera. I don't know. I don't know enough about filmmaking to think that might be the case. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, he, he was just in this block of people that just being, kept being asked to move around and fill these empty seats. Weren't they even asked to sort of just take their jackets off or something? And <laughs> yeah, and just go, hey, wait a minute, weren't you the guy who was in that? Um, um, but yeah, the, the little scene snooker drama number one. Right. Was Bob Geldof channeling at Hurricane Higgins? I think he may have been, and his, his corrupt, nasty manager was Mel Smith. Who could do corrupt. Yes. So what's the outcome of the Saints' challenge to the Angel? I should point out that the angel is played by Nosha Powell, um, who, who did have a fair track record um, in boxing and was also a British film industry in himself. Well, I've, I've got a family. whole section on him, on the Powell dynasty coming up. <laughs> we'll come to that in a minute. <laughs> he seems very confident because the fix is in. But who is the fixer? And it turns out, um, and again, because of uh, a head injury we have seen earlier, we, he's the least likely suspect, but it turns out to be Meredith Edwards, who's the villain. The um, second Welsh villain in two capsule. episodes. Mm, tiny capsule drug that he, he was going to smother the saint's face with the towel as he was wiping him down. 
which is what happened to poor old Torpedo Smith. There's a couple of things about that when the saint looks at the towel in the winding up bit. One, the capsule looks like one of those things that you inhale to unblock your nose with hay fever. Yes, it does, yes, yeah. Carpol, something like that. <laughs> and... Some form of mild nerve gas, I should imagine. Yeah, how do you get your hands on a mild nerve gas? Presumably you asked that nice lady who made her deadly nerve gas milder. Yeah, so it's not so bad when they were committing the crime of the century. I think that maybe she just decided to put it on the market and <laughs> make it commercially available nerve gas light uh, i'd buy it and then it's all smiles again steve nelson has a broken arm because the incompetent hitman max has failed to run him and the saint over so whether that's put an end to his boxing career i don't know but he seems such a nice middle class boy that i don't think that will affect his <laughs> chances in the future oh, no. no fine he'll be fine right as promised Nosha Pal chat. Do you think in this episode, in his entire career, has Nosha Pal ever had as many lines? Um, right. Now, I remember him getting kind of like rave reviews where I think he's... Is he in Eat the Rich? Yes, I think he is. He appears to be in quite a heavily featured role. He's one of these people that you, you kind of always physically recognise, you know, a bit like Pat Roach. It was usually thumping Harrison Ford sometime during the 80s and 90s. And because of their physically prepossessing appearance, they would fall into that role of sometimes thug number one or boxer or anything like that. But in both of their cases, there was an awful lot more to them. Yeah. And this is where we go into a brief history of the Powell stunt dynasty. About Nosher, according to IMDb, on his return to London after being a wartime evacuee, he took up boxing and became an occasional sparring partner for Joe Lewis, later Sugar Ray Robinson and Muhammad Ali. He continued to box during his national service with the Royal Army Medical Corps, very handy, and on discharge turned professional, retiring in 1960, having had 78 fights, 51 as a professional, only nine losses and was never knocked out until he met the saint. <laughs> yeah, now he's going to pay the price. Only because they didn't put the fix in. He first started in films in 1944, I think he was only about 16 then, when he was a stuntman in Laurence Olivier's Henry V. Yeah, one of our lecturers, Michael Waugh, um, in our first year at dramatic school, is in Olivier's Henry V. Bloody hell, along with John Laurie and all sorts of people. Mm-hmm. He continued with stunt work in between his boxing. His son, Greg Powell, was stunt coordinator on Val Kilmer's The Saint. Oh, nice little connection. Amongst his many, many big screen credits, which include the Bond films, which Nosha's other son, Gary Powell, also worked on. Apparently, Nosha also did stunt double work for Sean Connery, along with a host of big budget escapades, Greg's daughter, Tilly Powell, who it says, she's not five foot six, she's six foot one, <laughs> according to this. So she's <laughs> definitely takes after uh, Nosha's line of the family. Tilly Powell has 68 credits so far, doing stunts in everything from Harry Potter, Marvel movies. Uh, most recent listing is The Flash. Right, currently in cinemas now. Indeed. It's three generations of stunt work, and we haven't finished. Nosha had three Avengers points. His brother, Dinny Powell, did stunts in four Avengers episodes, including for Robert Cauldron, a.k.a. the Saint Sergeant Leduc. So that wraps up the tremendous contribution of three generations of the Powell family. Uh, and apparently Nosha was called Nosha by his mother because of his tremendous appetite. We salute the entire family for their contribution to British film and television. Right, other people. New Zealander Walter Brown, last seen in The Golden Frog. Uh, this is The Last of Three Saints. The good boxer Steve Nelson was Tony Wright at one point, which is a Tara King. Listeners may remember him from The Arrow of God and The Saint. Elsewhere, he had 27 episodes of Compact under his belt, 10 episodes of 1973's 
the Jensen Code. Do you remember that, Dave? Uh, oh, no. No. Does it still exist? I'm not sure, to be honest. The premise is Terry, I think he's a young teenager, is sent to an outward bound centre. Alex, presumably one of the other kids, disappears. Hours pass. And to Terry's shock, when Alex finally returns, he has no recollection of having been absent. Terry suspects something sinister is taking place. Oh, I think right. um, a quick glance, and it is still existing. It is available through our good old chums at Network. Oh, right. You do a fascinating, lovely job of reviving um, and uh, reimagining kind of like old TV series, allowing us to connect again. Reimagining old TV series. Imagine who might do that, Dave. <laughs> I can't. I know. I tell, what? You what? Taking like an old classic TV series and then giving it a, a new sparkly reboot. <laughs> Money for old, bro. Um, if only someone would pay Not us. like you'd take a, a well-received concept and just put the word new into it, <laughs> would you? You wouldn't do that. No. Anyway, without any spoilers, I think mind control and espionage might come into it. Uh, Meredith Edwards. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. Uh, <laughs> he's back in three weeks as someone else. Elsewhere... Uh, among his 113 credits are May Gray, Adam Adamant, Sexton Blake, Randall and Hopkirk, and guest spots in quite a few sitcoms. Jean Aubrey looks familiar, but only has 34 credits. Uh, she played Steve Nelson's girlfriend. And her credits stopped in 1971, apart from one 10 years later. John Tate from New South Wales, Second of Three Saints, Two Avengers Points, May Gray, Danger Man, The Baron, lent his voice to Thunderbirds, the Champions, The Strange Report, Department S. Barry Linehan, again, two points. Sergeant Cork, The Baron, Adam Adamant, Orlando, Lightly Lads, and The Andromeda Breakthrough, amongst others. Irvin Allen, who was Torpedo Smith, only 11 screen credits, but that includes three bonds, two of them with Rog. Mm. Doris Hare, one Studio Avengers, probably best known for On the Buses, the 67 TV episodes and two feature films. MacDonald Hobley, who played the boxing commentator, born in the Falkland Islands, and he was one of the BBC's first continuity announcers and switched around between presenting and acting. And down the back of the uncredited sofa, Chris Adcock, one point, the terrifying man-eater of Surrey Green, five saints, 94 credits from 1949 to 1970, including... Plague of the Zombies, which also gave work <laughs> to John Cam, who has three points. A Lewis Alexander again, three points. Nine Saints, Joe Beckett, 1.3 Saints. Paul Berardi, Jack Kidberg, Danger Man, Interpol Calling. Now, only last time you were complaining about the lack of Alan Bennett cameos, Dave. Yes. What does you know, IMDb this, have to say about this? Well, this episode is July 1965, so it's probably made, what, about four months earlier, five months earlier? Something possibly, like so the beginning of 1965. So 40 years on, this play of Alan Bennett was, it was still a few years off. I think that came out in 1968, first production. So maybe he was still doing the little acting jobs. And according to IMDb, reporter at fight templar versus the angel is alan bennett do we believe the internet um did you go through it frame by frame like i did <laughs> i've not forensically examined it i must admit i am sure that he's there it's just i am not quick enough to spot him <laughs> because otherwise imdb would be wrong and that yeah. cannot be so no, can't be. It's not some horrendous practical joke played by somebody working for the website. Yes, as we said, there was a Welsh villain for the second time in two episodes. The script was by Terry Nation again. We really must do a show about Terry Nation. <laughs> yeah. So since we are now caught up with uh, the Saint, the next one is The Smart Detective, which sees the return of Inspector Claude Eustace Teal um, as well as a very smug young private detective. Oh, and Reg Lye, who was in our Australian episode um, about those two dastardly brothers, plus some familiar faces as well, such as Fabia Drake and Larry Taylor. Oh, hurrah. 
Well, terrific. Thank you very much, Dave. This has been Rose Tinted Black and White Television, the review show. We have digressed over a number of things besides the black and white episodes of The Saint, series four, starring R. Rodge. But we will be back again to discuss other series that graced the screens from the late 50s to the early 70s next time. So I've been Guy Morgan. My co-host has been David Newell. And Thank you very much. We will be back. I thank you.